This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 342 of the Yellow Wild Pod. I'm your host Stefan Busko and today we will talk about Dortmund's rebound in the Champions League and we will preview the upcoming Bundesliga match against promoted side Arminia Bielefeld. For all that and more joins me Lars Pollmann. Hello Lars, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm fine, how are you? I am doing very well myself. Uh, if there are some uh, background noises, I apologize. My neighbor apparently is sawing in the uh, garage that's right next to the uh, cellar where I'm sitting right now or, or basement as we say in the United States. Anyway, um, so uh, since we don't have much housekeeping to do today, Lars, um, I guess it's time to dive right in into the uh, Tune win against Zenit on uh, Wednesday evening. Um, a game very much to my liking, I will say, but uh, I've heard people label it boring how how did that happen Lars? i'm actually a bit flabbergasted that you would say that this game was to your liking because it was quite boring i mean the only saving grace for you is you didn't have to endure it after a long day of work starting at 9 p.m because obviously you are in another time zone but for me <laughs> having been up since 5 a.m in the morning the first 45 minutes seemed okay, but especially the second half, that was uh, it was hard to keep the eyes open for some of that game. But I mean, ultimately, I would say I agree with the analysis of most players, which is they had to win the game. They did enough to do that. And, you know, that's basically it. I mean, three points and nobody will ask you like tomorrow uh, how the game against Zenit went. Also because there was not really too much memorable stuff going down no not really to be honest um so father stuck with his 4-2-3-1 again uh this time it was royce in the number 10 instead of julian brandt and uh, dahu did make the cut but delaney did not for him Axel Witzel played were you okay with the lineup choices yeah, I mean, uh, delighted to see Dahoud get an extended run. I think he has a case to be one of the most improved players uh, in this Dortmund side over the last few uh, weeks and months even. I think I've given him the moniker of lockdown in Yester because, uh, quite frankly, he's looked quite different as a player since uh, the Bundesliga's restart in May. And it's certainly encouraging to see that he's also... Um, conserved that good spell of form over an injury uh, remember that he missed most of the summer and early season this year uh, after suffering an injury late last season so it's always nice to see him flourish because we all know how talented a player is in there and then that has at times found it difficult to uh, bring that out onto the pitch so it, it's nice to see Favre give him uh, more confidence and I think he repaid it once again with a decent or even a good performance I would say and uh, other than that 
I was perhaps a bit surprised about the uh, lack of uh, rotation, but I think this was maybe down to the fact that they were already behind uh, the curve, if you like, in, in the Champions League and have a quote-unquote winnable fixture against Arminia Bielefeld coming up. So I, I think the uh, onus was really on getting those three points and, and maybe we will see more rotation against Bielefeld on Saturday. Yeah, I would uh, assume the same thing. Um, I think the very first thing that I thought when I saw the lineup was it's probably going to be very clocked up in the middle for Dortmund. And uh, if, you know, according at least to the press conference, uh, because journalists asked Favre and Favre did answer accordingly, is that uh, um, he tried to have Giorena and Sancho play more on the wings, but uh, they were drifting to the inside as well, which is kind of predictable, but uh, also meant that Dortmund uh, lacked a little bit of width. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that's the reason, though, why it took so long to create uh, high-caliber chances. I mean, I think in the first half there were a couple, I don't know, Erling Haaland had a good shot, and uh, I think Royce or so uh, was at the end of a shot which uh, went wide. I think uh, there was a free kick, and uh, did Dahoud not have a shot, or was it in the second half? But uh, e either way, it's not like Dortmund created uh, as many chances as they might have um i think that's something we've criticized before because there seems to be a lack of impetus um at the beginning of the a half and uh, i don't know if if it's uh, coincidental or more of a correlation that Dortmund so far have not scored uh, a single goal in the first half this season which is kind of weird because Dortmund usually uh, like to score early um but uh, not if, so if if we're not counting the cup i think they were two two uh, goals up within yeah, 30 or so that. minutes at, at Duisburg. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's still a competitive fixture. Yeah, so. yeah, you're right, you're right. But uh, other than the cup, then... <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, worth pointing that out. But uh, yeah, still, kind of a, a little weird. Um, so yeah, also, I, I have to say, I do expect a little bit more of Marco Reus. I thought he went AWOL for... A lot, considering A, his talent, his capabilities, and B, that he's playing on the number 10 role, which is usually a very flashy role, or a player that is very involved in the in the play. But uh, I don't know if, it, if it's just me and me not really identifying it. But it seemed like the game was drifting uh, away from him. He was never really that involved. Uh, and I don't know, not making the runs that you would expect uh, from from a player in, in this position, and especially for Marco Reus, who is famously a vertical player. Um, I think either before or after the game, Didi Harman on Sky was sort of slating him for not being the right captain or, or something. There was a discussion going on, which I couldn't pay too close attention because it just absolutely bores me, Lars. However, I, I think it is justified a little bit that we uh, chat a little bit about... Royce's overall form right now I mean he's still sort of coming back from injury but even before his injury it's not like uh, his performances were on the absolute highest levels so um, what are we making of uh, the Dortmund captain yeah being a f just just one of many instead of uh, you know being an outstanding player which he arguably could be or should be yeah I think it's always a bit difficult with Royce, uh, just because there's 
a lot of expectation on his shoulders uh, just because of the fact that he is so talented and has been so prolific in front of goal uh, for a for an attacking player that isn't a striker. I think he has very favorable numbers in, in comparison to other great attacking players over the last decade and a half or whatever. Um, so it's always, you expect more from Royce than you do from other players, which is fair enough, but he's now 31 years old and uh, me being the same age, I can tell you that some things aren't as easy as they were five years ago. And I'm sure it's more, more apparent for a professional athlete uh, in comparison to myself. Uh, he's also been injured <laughs> well, so well, often. Well, to be fair, Marco Royce has never shaved, and this is all the facial hair he has. Being facial hair challenged myself, I don't <laughs> appreciate that comment. Um, uh, the, the, I think injuries do take their toll. Uh, he has lost certainly a step or two. His explosiveness isn't really there. Um, I mean... Remember the times when he was a wide forward drifting inwards? I think that those days are long gone. I think he's more of a central player now. He wants to play there, obviously, but also it's basically what his profile dictates. And I just think, as you said, uh, because Reyna and Sancho were basically playing like a double 10, uh, in addition to Marco Reus, the actual 10, there was just a clutter of uh, personnel in the center too often and uh he failed to make an impact partly because of that i think he didn't really have as many opportunities uh because uh, sancho is obviously very dominant on the ball uh, has a lot of touches around the box especially when he drifts inside so i think basically what i'm always saying is uh, royce's best position isn't actually as a 10 it's as a secondary striker uh playing behind or around in this case erling holland and Ultimately, I think his best role for this team right now, if we are looking at, you know, overall squad planning and whatever, would probably be as like Haaland's backup slash, uh, you know, spot starter in attack as opposed to uh, taking away a starting spot from uh, either uh, Sancho, Reyna, Azar or even Brandt. I mean, obviously, whenever Royce is on form, he's arguably still one of their best uh, attacking players and definitely warrants a starting spot. But uh, especially now that he's still coming back to form uh, and we all know how frail that always is because the, the next injury is sadly never too far away with him. I think it would make sense. And kind of, uh, Favre kind of sees the same because obviously he's not playing Reus every uh, game. He didn't start, for example, uh, in the Revier derby, which, you know, is a despite Schalke's uh, problems, is still a big fixture where usually would say uh, Royce not only being the captain, but also being, you know, one of the potentially best players on the team would usually start. Uh, he got a rest there. He's been rested before. Don't necessarily think he'll start against Bielefeld with the next Champions League game coming up. So they kind of see it the way we've described it, uh, you know, with Royce not being at his... Uh, highest peak at the moment and, and thus uh, other options deserving uh, their time in the spotlight as well. Yeah, and another point I would like to make um, due to Marco Royce not having played much of the uh, second half of last season and uh, being out injured for such a long time. He also hasn't had too many minutes together with Haaland. I mean, they did combine 
for the uh, 1-0 against Hoffenheim, but I think especially against Zenit, you could see that uh, they are actually very similar in, in terms of how they uh, construct their runs. And it happened a couple of times uh, too often that they were sort of making the same run and occupying the same space, which is a little unfortunate, What also just shows that, uh, you know, I like to talk about the automatism, obviously, but in, in, in this case, just, uh, yeah, they need to sort of uh, work together a little bit better as a, as a striker do, if you will, if you uh, um, have him more as a as a false nine or if, uh, whatever, uh, playing off the shoulder of Haaland. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that obviously also plays a role. Um, but uh, yeah, nevertheless, uh, the expectations are high and obviously you need to justify being played as a number 10 because there are a lot of capable other players. And uh, right now I would actually make the case for maybe Julian Brandt playing there over Royce. I think you just made the same point. So um, yeah, it's uh, obviously sort of a luxury problem as we would call it in German. Um, but uh, yeah, Marco Royce needs to improve a little more. I assume if he can stay injury free and the season progressive, this is something that would probably take care of itself. Um, but um, let's uh, talk about the, the probably biggest positive coming out of this game is that Dortmund managed to uh, not allow a single shot on target. Um, they basically are doing the same thing for 180 minutes now, if you combine that with the review derby, since Schalke also did not manage that. Um, I think that by itself is probably and arguably a very positive development. Um, you know, when we talk about a mature Champions League performance, and this is why I said it's very much to my liking, because Dortmund pretty much controlled the game for 90 minutes. Uh, obviously, they need a little bit of luck to score a goal. Um, you know, that penalty um, that was uh, caused in the uh, 77th minute or so was uh, maybe not the smartest way by Zenit, but uh, <laughs> um, apart from that, um, the defensive performance I really liked, especially since it was a switch to the back four and Dortmund have looked uh, sometimes a little foolish in that system. And obviously also coincides with the return of Manuel Kanji, who I thought had now very two very strong outings. Um, Lars, would you agree with me in at least that analysis that uh, from the uh, defensive standpoint in, in terms of how you anticipate balls and uh, how you close down opponents, uh, this was pretty good? Yeah. But uh, <laughs> just like Saturday, they they played against an opponent that had no ambition to play forward. I mean, obviously, uh, when you have so much possession and push uh, quite far up the pitch, you need good, what we call in Germany, uh, Restverteidigung. Uh, and also with the few balls that come your way, Endverteidigung. And both of those things were really good. I think uh, Akanji and Hummels both had uh, strong games. I would actually say that Hummels was perhaps the best player on the pitch uh, outside of probably the Hood. Um, so certainly in that sense, you can make the, the 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 case that they were very solid again. But you know they didn't have anything to do, and I think yeah. But uh, that being this, said, this this back this, this back four has not been tested so far, and <laughs> I think I, it, I'd be a bit uh, weary of. Uh, putting putting them in can uh, in can yet as uh, 
Bill Parcells would say. I mean, they they haven't really played anyone of note uh, in these last 180 minutes. I mean, Zenit uh, came with Artem Juba, who scored three goals in the World Cup uh, two years ago. But he was flopping around like an NBA center, despite, you know, his size advantage, uh, even against Hummels. I mean, he looked twice as big as Marco Reus for the, the coin toss. So, but he didn't do anything and he was complaining all the time. He was on the, on the floor. Are you, are you the, calling him an oversized Pulisic? I wanted, I, I was just going to say that he was on the floor more than Gio Reyna is usually, but I mean, Pulisic also works. <laughs> uh, we have we have to play to our American audience, obviously. Um, obviously. <laughs> I mean, if this back four can, I mean, Bielefeld, I like their playing style. Actually, I think they were arguably the the, the not inarguably, I would say, the best uh, side in the second division last season. But they don't have you know necessarily great individual talent. I haven't seen um, Club Bruges. Uh, in these Champions League games because it's so late that after the final whistle I basically fall asleep on the couch. Uh, so I would assume that Bayern ahead of the international break is the first real test or maybe the second depending on Brugge, uh, Bruges. Um, so encouraging signs but always with the caveat of opposition that didn't really put any pressure on them. Yeah, that's probably fair enough, but uh, I do remember too many games where that was sort of the case and Dortmund still invited them. So at least I mean, they, they even did against Zenit. It was just uh, testing Roman Bürki's quality or lack thereof uh, <laughs> with the feet and even his head on the goal line, which would have been one of the absolute, absolutely most remarkable uh, own goals in Champions League history, I'm sure. Yeah, was it, was it a back pass from Akanji? I want to say it was Guerrero. Yes, it, it was. It was a super awkward bounce. I, 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 th yeah, I thought it was going to go in. Yeah, and I, I, I was basically expecting uh, goal line technology to give us a shot of how close it actually was because I don't think it was too far away from the goal line actually. No, it, and it, and obviously Burki uh, then uh, hoofed the ball higher than long, if that makes sense. So the <laughs> ball was still around the six yard box. So. All in all, it, it kind of uh, Roman Weidenfeller against Legia Warsaw like instant. <laughs> yeah, well, it was kind of it was kind of hilarious. And the the thing is, the way Dortmund played, you also knew that if they can see the silly goal, which is never too far out of the realm of possibility, if that is the case, uh, then uh, yeah, I don't think Dortmund win this one. I I think they would actually lose one there. I don't think. Um, that Dortmund then have the infamous proverbials, which where then uh, they all of a sudden find a way to to attack more, especially when Zenit then probably will defend even more if that's possible. Um, but yeah, I think in the end it was a very positive for them that they more or less shut down Zenit minus that one for par <laughs> and uh, yeah grabbed the two goals also nice for Bellingham to get his first assist um, yeah so overall a, a positive night uh, it's it's a game that I really like because I don't need all this drama uh, when you have a million midweeks fixture I think a professional performance and a professional result is exactly what the doctor orders you don't have any injuries as far as I can tell so uh, in, in that regard, um, it's all very positive. 
you know, whether it's entertaining for the average fan or for neutrals, I think is rather secondary at this point of the season, to be honest. So, um, yeah, it's just for Dortmund very important that they win all their home games in the Champions League. And uh, even though if it, it, it was not the uh, uh, nicest game, it was not super easy on the eyes, but uh, yeah, well done. I mean, Jaden Sancho then uh, put away the penalty in the 78th minute, um, which obviously was a deserved penalty, even though it was, uh, you know, the, uh, the foul was not very smart, but uh, these happen, and especially usually is is how how Bayern players often win penalties that someone just for some reason grabs them stupidly and puts them to the ground. This time it was Hazard, and uh, yeah, Haaland then uh, finishing his his goal. Um, it's pretty good too. Last, um, I think we can knock it on the head uh, as uh, it pertains the uh, Zenit discussion and can move over now to the game against Bielefeld, which is on uh, Saturday, uh, the uh, uh, the afternoon kickoff. I think it's a 10.30 kickoff Eastern time in the United States because Germany have already moved their clocks to normal time and uh, the United States do that on Halloween, I think. So um, that means we are only five hours apart at this very moment. Um, I have honestly not seen much of Bielefeld yet this season. Uh, have you? No, but I did watch them quite a few times in the second division. As I said earlier, in my opinion, clearly the best and you know most solid, most convincing team to uh, play in the second division last season, which is obviously saying a bit because Stuttgart have this great collection of talent and have had uh, a, a decent start to the season. I think they're fifth or sixth in the in the championship after you know five games which isn't saying too much but still a good start for Stuttgart and Bielefeld definitely outclassed them last season and then I think they uh, went ahead in the table to the top of the table in somewhere in autumn and they never looked back basically their their uh, promotion was almost guaranteed even before uh Bundesliga shut down in uh, March so uh, there's a lot of, a lot to like about them as a team I just don't know how much uh, their lack of individual quality will come back to haunt them in the Bundesliga because obviously games they dominated last season they will now be the underdog and, and need from time to time a player to provide the goods and you know their talismanic striker Fabian Klose for example I don't think he has scored this season uh, so I think this is one of those cases where they were clearly too good for the second division last season but are probably not going to be good enough for the first division and but still it's uh, it's nice uh, for, for guys our age I think to have Bielefeld back in the Bundesliga because that's bringing back some memories from our childhood when things were easier and Bielefeld were a mainstay in the in the first division just like for example Bochum were back in the day yeah but pr probably mostly nightmares for Dortmund fans because I don't think Dortmund's record at Bielefeld is so great um I know we looked at it pre-part a little um I don't know if you want to expand on that or not but uh Dortmund's yeah, visits I think they... to the Alm as the stadium is called uh, the Bielefeld Alm isn't isn't all that prolific no, I think they uh, had like three Bundesliga wins or something like that. Uh, one of which precedes, I think, even Matthias' <laughs> uh, early 70s. Um, 
Yeah, I've, I, I mean, obviously, these records never say much and, and definitely don't when the last meeting was uh, something like 11 years ago. But still, I mean, there's something to be said about, you know, an old school, smaller si uh, stadium on the smaller side where people are quite close. But obviously, there are no people in the stadium on Saturday. I think uh, Samir Arabi, the, the sporting director of Bielefeld, has already... Uh, come out and said that basically the lack of support uh, is they're they're one of the teams that he predicts will suffer the most which I guess most people will say because it's also kind of appeasing the fans a bit if you say that you desperately need them but I think it's definitely true for a side like Bielefeld that doesn't have the individual talent and uh, such uh, needs you know all the things to go their way as much as they can and obviously with no fans for the foreseeable future, at least November. But yeah, I mean, we can all read the the stats. I think it doesn't look great for the return of fans anytime soon in Germany. Uh, that's certainly, I guess, a break for Dortmund in, in 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 this case. But I don't think anybody wants to consider the lack of fans a break for anyone. Yeah, no, um, really not. It's uh, not great. But yeah, this is a classic trap game for Dortmund I think um, where they can beat themselves you know <laughs> like they did on trips to I don't know Paderborn or uh, or other teams like Darmstadt for example um, this is sort of the game where everyone expects Dortmund to grab the three points you know in their sleep basically and then they, they get found out because sometimes this team is a little arrogant um, there's no other way to put it um, also, Bielefeld, I would say, um, at least from what I've seen so far in the Bundesliga and what I've seen before in the second division, they are a team that can be depressing, um, which is obviously unfortunate because they don't, don't press that much. But, uh, you know, they can retain the ball when they win it uh, uh, far back in their own half, which uh, helps them sometimes to, um, you know, evade some pressure and, and uh, take the pressure out of the game. And... Uh, you know they they're not the uh classic team that just punts the ball forward and 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 prays uh you know since a little prayer with the ball basically but they they do have some uh, nice uh you know i would say on the ground combination game going for them i would say the last pass isn't all that great usually it's uh where their downfall is but um they they can score on a three ball obviously especially if your uh, backline is unorganized and yeah otherwise I mean they're in 14th place they have scored four goals so far um, you know it it all needs to be read in this context obviously they are a promoted team with uh, not the resources that you usually would have for the first division um, especially to establish yourself um, you know obviously they could still make it for some reason um, you know. For example, Schalke is just staying as poor as they are and then Mainz, um, you know, staying terrible and who knows what Cologne are doing. But um, yeah, otherwise this is probably going to be a relegation battle and fans from Bielefeld probably know that and just try to enjoy the season as much as they can, which is obviously a bit harder now considering that uh, due to the rises in COVID cases, uh, fans are once again completely banned from uh, football stadiums in Germany until further notice. Um so 
yeah, I don't know what to expect of this. Um, last you, um, in the context of the Zenit game, said you would have usually expected a little bit more rotations. So um, now that uh, Dortmund do play Bielefeld, uh, how do you expect Favre to uh, pick his team uh, according to uh, who might need a rest? Uh, the good thing nowadays is that they have a lot of data on this stuff, so they basically can usually tell uh, when a player is very low on energy. I think it's difficult to gauge, you know, from just watching these games. I don't know what they can exactly do in terms of regeneration during the week. Obviously, they don't really get uh, to to practice actual stuff on the pitch uh, with uh, these midweek fixtures all the time, so... I would assume that players who've played a lot of games recently uh, are being looked at. I think uh, Thomas Meunier, uh, he's been basically, basically playing nonstop since coming back from his injury in, I think it was preseason or maybe was it the uh, during the Duisburg game or whatever. So I would, be, uh, would not be surprised if Matteo Morey got his first start of the season. He's been on the bench a couple of times now, should be ready to go. Uh, Felix Pastlak might play... Either for Meunier or for Guerrero, who's also played quite a bit recently. Uh, you know. The, When are you going to give Hummels a rest? How are they going to do that with no other center backs available? I mean, Emre Can is still out with uh, in, in, in quarantine, I would assume. I mean, I haven't really heard anything to the contrary. And would not assume that he can provide enough negative tests plus you know make the make the uh, match day squad based on you know fitness after however many days out uh obviously Zagadou is still not back even though so I think the rest Michael of Zorc, will be the international break and then hoping that after the international break Zagadou is back yeah and also I don't know how much rest the center back really needs I mean Hummels uh being the most experienced and decorated player on this team, I would assume, can basically pick his spots himself. If he told Favre I need a rest, he would get it. But, you know, I think he's so experienced that he knows, uh, you know, also during games. I mean, for example, this this uh, game against Zenit, I don't know how much of a toll that actually takes on a centre-back. I mean, in the first half, he had a couple of spicy duels uh, with Juba, as we said earlier, but he also won all of them decisively. So I don't know. I don't think necessarily that someone like Hummels desperately needs a break uh, on on the regular. So Fair I would be more would would be more uh, inclined to see more rotation, obviously up front, because it's always easier to just mix and match there. Hazard uh, should be good to go uh, after playing, what was it, like 30 minutes or so uh, against Zenit. I'm assuming we at some point will see uh, Rainier get a game from the start just because, you know, he hasn't really been able to show anything in, in these cameo appearances. Uh, and they have him for two years, so obviously they can be patient, but he's a fresh body with enough talent to sign for Real Madrid on a 30 million transfer. So even if he hasn't really done much uh, to warrant recognition in a Dortmund shirt so far, there's still obviously talent there that needs to be nurtured. So I wouldn't be surprised necessarily to see him get a bigger run. I don't know that he's necessarily going to start this game. Uh, yeah, and, and other than that, I mean, they have so many uh, options 
basically in every position outside of defense, I would say. So, you know, every combination is kind of thinkable and wouldn't necessarily surprise me. Yeah, I, I, I guess you're right in that regard. Um, you know, it's... I don't know if you want to give Haaland a rest again, considering after that, I think Dortmund play against Bruges, right? And then Bayern. Is that yep. the way it goes? And then uh, there's the next international break upcoming. Yep. So, um, yeah, if if you want to give Haaland a rest, this is probably the best chance to do it. And then, I don't know, bring him on for 20 minutes if needed. Otherwise, uh, yeah, he can he can take a full game rest for all I care and just save it for the next games. Um Yeah, otherwise, uh, yeah, I don't have too many other things to say other than uh, that I really hope that Dortmund are a little bit smarter this time than they were against Augsburg and uh, maybe do try to decide this game early on and and not, uh, you know, try to, uh, you know, pass the ball around themselves for 45 minutes and then after the break, I don't know, get sucker punched or whatever. Um, So... That's that's pretty much my two cents on on this game. Um, who we obviously see in the Armenia backline is uh, Amos Pieper, who used to play for Dortmund's second team, I think, right? And uh, and the was he playing for the under 19 as well? Yeah, I think, I think uh, he actually scored uh, the winning penalty in the under 19 championship. Uh, final against Bayern, which you saw sitting like two meters from Hans-Joachim Watzke, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, was it against FC Bayern or was it against 1860? I can't even remember that. Everything no, no, is a blur. Was, what was the uh, record champions FC Bayern? Yeah, all right. Fair enough. Yeah, he is now, I think, 22 years old. He's going to turn 23 next year, I think. So, um, yeah. Uh, and he's really good, by the way. I mean, he's one of those players that, even if Bielefeld get relegated, will definitely attract Bundesliga attention. He's also playing well whenever called upon in the under-21 team, which is obviously still going, uh, unlike uh, most youth national teams, which, because of the COVID situation, have basically been called off for, I think, the rest of the year. But, you know, uh, people are definitely... I think there's also uh, already talk among fans who know, you know, Bielefeld better, uh, that he might be a, a guy that could come back to Dortmund, actually, which is uh, always an interesting idea to uh, get more locals into the club, because that's always something that a lot of fans can identify with. And, you know, being a young centre-back from Germany, uh, that that could be an avenue for both sides that, that might be uh, worth entertaining. Yeah, let's just hope he would not turn into the next Leonardo Balerdi then, but uh, that's very unlikely since he's already playing in the Bundesliga as an established player. And um, yeah, who knows? Um, I'm uh, certainly going to look out for him when Dortmund play. Um, I was also hoping to see uh, Anne Meyer, who I think joined uh, Bielefeld from Hertha Berlin, who I rate sort of, but uh, I think he is still out injured. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of too bad. But, um, yeah, I mean, may maybe uh, Fabian Klose, their uh, striker, uh, I don't know if he's related to Dortmund legend Stefan Klose. <laughs> um, but, yeah, who who knows if Dortmund are the, the slump buster. But so far, uh, Fabian Klose is leading his team in yellow cards. Uh, 
together with uh, Nathan de Medina. Um, so yeah, it's it's going to be, especially if it's going to be a rainy day in Bielefeld with a muddy pitch, it's just going to be one of those games where uh, I will be happy if it's another 2-0 and, uh, you know, in the end, dubbed a boring match because uh, if this game turns out to be an exciting game, it's usually doesn't bode well for Dortmund. So, uh, yeah, I think the focus needs to be on the on the game against Bruges a little bit. And then, uh, you know, if Dortmund make it out of these two games in one piece, then obviously uh, they host Bayern. So there is maybe a tiny fraction of a chance that they can, I don't know, scrape away a point or something <laughs> so uh yeah we'll see about that last uh but i think uh i'm i'm just circling around here so might as well head to the predictions and uh you know i mean we'll be back very soon with the uh, preview for the bruges game so last uh, do me the honor and uh, give me your predicted scoreline uh first just quickly to not uh give the uh appearance that we don't know anything about Bielefeld and don't give a, you know what uh, Ritsu Doan Japanese playmaker really good player loaned from I want to say Feyenoord some Dutch side definitely uh, been a valuable addition for them and also uh, Marcel Hartel usually playing like as a 8 slash 10 also really good player so just two more names and also the goalkeeper Ortega he's really good uh, with his feet he was actually close to signing for Leverkusen uh, a few months back but decided to stay on with promoted Bielefeld he's also just a you know fun player to watch if you like you know good goalkeepers who nobody knows uh, anyway as uh, in, for a prediction I think I think I'm going with that boring 2-0 win you said because I would also very much take it uh, whenever facing in a promoted side away from home. I think for Dortmund, the record against promoted sides away from home isn't great over the last few years. And just as you said earlier, I think I always remember, you know, bad juju at Darmstadt or whatever at the Berlinfall tour. I think the Bielefelder Alm isn't quite the same as the Berlinfall tour, obviously without fans, but still... Uh, you know, uh, dubbing any win away from home boring for Dortmund is definitely a positive, as you said. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. Ritsudon obviously uh, has one goal and one assist already to his name. And uh, yeah, I did see him play well. But the problem is I've seen so little of Bielefeld that I do not have the confidence of making any statements really of who is good and who is bad. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you could add a little bit more to the subject um, and uh, I will, uh, you know, in the in the theme of the boringness, I will also go with a 2 nothing prediction. And uh, now it's time to get out of here. So, Lars, uh, thank you for coming on. And please tell our listeners how to uh, follow you on Twitter. They can follow me uh, at Lars Polman. Very well. You can follow me at Stefan Busco and you can follow all of us at Yellow Wallpot on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to read our written content, go to theyellowworld.net. If you want to contribute financially, sponsor an episode, etc., go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall. You can subscribe to our show via YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, etc. And uh, that is it for this week. We shall be back uh, next time after the game against Bielefeld and just before the game against Bruges. So, uh, yeah, basically double duty for us as well, but uh, that's how we like it. 
And with that, as always, thank you for listening. Stay safe and good. Bye.